Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B, where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity. We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. Hi, everybody. It's Dr. B. And today we're going to be talking about my generation and actually your generation as well. Let's get started talking about my generation, communication, cooperation, and compassion. We don't realize how different we are just because of our generational differences, but it really plays into how we all get along and communicate with each other. What is a generation? A generation is about 20 years. It can be 20 to 25 years in span. And what people often don't understand is that 25 years can really make a huge difference in how people embrace and engage with the world that they live in it's it's very definitive and there's an entire body of research around why generations are different first there's generational patterns you know we try to understand everything by its system and its patterns so generations shift about every 20 years what people often don't know is that there's a rinse and repeat cycle And every 80 years, we start over with the same pattern, but we're 80 years ahead in time with innovation, technology, new information, different life experiences and events that happen. So we have to remember not only the 20 year generational differences, but also the 80 year cycle. Every new generation breaks the trend and creates new attitudes and behaviors. And those attitudes and behaviors are actually shaped, they're shaped by our life experiences, our shared life experiences, big events that happen to us as a generation. For me, myself, I think one of the big events was the Challenger exploding. Now, some of you are gonna be like, what was that? I don't even know what that is. But anybody else, anybody who was born in my generation knows what that means, knows what the Challenger blowing up meant to our generation. We can remember where we were when it happened. We're going to dig deeper into that for everybody else, too. But my sister, who's a baby boomer, remembers exactly where she was when JFK was assassinated. So, again, these are life experiences that are so powerful that they impact an entire group of people called a generation. This generation also usually has shared values. Now, this isn't on an individual basis because we all know that everybody in a particular generation does not have exactly the same set of values. However, there are many things that are shared across an entire generation that's different from another generation. And we're going to see that as this unfolds. They also have a generally similar life path. They do things in a lot of the same ways. 
compared to other generations. And again, we're going to see what that looks like. It doesn't mean that everybody grows up to be plumbers. Everybody grows up to be the same thing and have that as their life path. What it means is that they approach things in a similar way. We're going to talk about archetypes and, you know, being a clinical psychologist, I depth psychology, this, this is important to me and it's very valuable information when you're learning about generational theory and generational differences. There are four archetypes in the generational system and they're artists, prophets, nomads, and heroes. And this is where that 2080 thing comes in. Each generation takes about 20 years, but every cycle to go through all four of the archetypes takes about 80 years. And then we rinse and repeat and start over with artists, prophets, nomads, and heroes again, but in a completely different world because 80 years has passed and there's all sorts of new innovations, ideas, events that have taken place. So let's start with the artists. These are considered the traditionalists, 1923 to 1943. They're also called the silent generation. And they're under the archetype heading of artists. Then there's baby boomers, 1944 to 1964. And they're called the prophets. They're under the heading of prophets. Then there's Gen X, that's my generation, 1965 to 1980. And we're considered nomads. And there's such good reason for that. And then there's millennials, 1981 to 1996, and they're called heroes. Then there, here's where we jump into that generational cycle shift, and we're re-entering an artist's era. And our Gen Z Homelander generation, 1997 to 2010, actually share some very strong similarities to their grandparents, great-grandparents, the traditionalists or the silent generation. Because again, they are the artists. That's their archetype. And then last but not least for now, this will continue on forever and ever, but because we're only in 2021, the next generation coming up is the alpha generation, which will probably have a completely new name we don't know what it'll be yet, but they're born 2011 and later, and they're prophets. So they're going to, again, recycle the baby boomer sort of maybe philosophy, values around life, work, communication, family, and so on. They won't do it exactly the same because remember, they're 80 years younger, but they are going to have some similarities with that particular generation. So again, now let's ask the question more deeply. What is a generation? We've got the traditionalists, they're the silent generation, and they're the artists. We've got baby boomers. There are 78 million baby boomers in the workforce. And then they're, and they're the profits. Then we have Gen X, and there's 50 million Gen Xers. And we're the nomads. That's going to become really clear in a little bit. And then there's millennials. And there's 88 million millennials. Now, take a look at that sandwich. We've got 88 million millennials and 78 million baby boomers sandwiching a very small generation of 50 million. 
I'll give you a hint because we're latch keys because we're alone or the small generation and the real battle around a lot of different things. The Gen Xers are kind of the translators between the millennials and the baby boomers because the voice comes from these very large generation populations. And then last but not least for now, Gen Z, they're 1997 to 2010, and they're artists, and they're going to echo a lot of the similarities that traditionalists and silent generation do, but through much more modern media and mediums. All right, so let's talk about traditionalists and being artists and the silent generation. They were defined by World War II. And so in order to survive, they really had to conform to the benefit of society. Being an individualist was not an effective or productive way to be as a traditionalist after World War II, during World War II, because people needed each other. And so the defining experiences of this generation, World War II, the Great Depression, needing food, a lot of poverty. So people leaned in on society and helped each other. And that's a value of, that's a shared value of that generation doing things for each other. Then we have the baby boomers, and they're the prophet generation. It doesn't mean they're all prophets. It doesn't even mean any of them are prophets. It's just their archetype. They are considered the competitive crusaders. They're very idealistic, values-driven, and ambitious leaders. So let's think about it. Think about a baby boomer and remember, like, work hard, do, you know, you work for what you get, or you get what you work for. That's pretty, that's kind of a simple mantra. That's it. You know, whatever you put in is what you're going to get out. We know, I mean, I think I know that that's not necessarily true and it's certainly not that simple, but at this time that really was the prevailing um, messaging around baby boomers and then if you if you're a Gen Xer, you know that there was the and the baby boomers as well, and even millennials. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs, and they plop the egg into the frying pan. Like there's that idealistic, you know, just say no, everything will be fine if we just do it this way. They were also the pushers of the civil rights movement. So thank thank goodness for that. The starting of the women's rights movement and the civil rights movements and really leaning into equality for the first time in history where women joined the workforce and Martin Luther King brought a million people to Washington in order to express the need for equality and Lots, lots going on during this period. And then at the same time, interestingly, there's also sort of that hippie flower child era. So we're, we're, when they're young, there's this sort of, you know, anything goes, Woodstock, drugs, sex, you know, really the free generation, everybody can do everything. And then they pull back a little bit, and become more 
driven by this concept of we know what's best and here's how you do it. And if you do it this way, then everything's going to be okay. Those are our baby boomers. All right, I have a I have a soft spot here for Gen X because I am one. All right, so Gen X are considered the nomads. And if you know what a nomad is, they move around a lot there, you know. This is the we are considered the latchkey generation. We are kids of divorced parents, working households, and the AIDS epidemic. So the AIDS epidemic defined so much about how we view the world in so many ways. This group is also the most pragmatic, realistic leaders, and they tend to be direct and savvy and committed to fixing the problems that they encounter. And they're the smallest generation, as we talked about before. Now think about it. If you're a small generation and you need to get your point across, you better be savvy and you better be direct. And if you want to fix problems, then boom, you have to go directly into the sort of into the fire. And we were alone a lot of the time in our childhood. Notice the keys around this little person's neck, little girl cooking for herself after school or maybe cooking dinner because our parents were working. That was the way to get ahead was to work. And if our parents were divorced, we didn't have anyone to take care of us. So we had to take care of ourselves. We also grew up with this face that, you know, we loved and broke our hearts. Ryan White, who was a hemophiliac and contracted HIV and then AIDS and died and we watched it all play out every single moment of his life from being treated terribly to really becoming a giant advocate for a better world. So I don't think anybody who's part of Gen X doesn't know who Ryan White is. Then we jump into the millennials. Now, remember, millennials probably have parents who are Gen X or boomers. And millennials Gen Y are considered the hero generation. And they were, their primary event of their lives, it was 9-11, no question about it. You know, first time in history when really we were attacked on our home soil, that was a, a, a big wake up call. And because their parents, uh, particularly Gen X parents, were so overly protective. Notice the bubble wrap going around the little little guy because they were latchkey kids. They didn't experience that protection. They were home alone, taking care of themselves. And so then when they became parents, guess what they did? They really got into their kids' lives and overprotected them, as many people will say. You hear the joke sometimes about, you know, there's not just a blue ribbon anymore. There's like blue, red, yellow, green, brown. Everybody gets a ribbon. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody wins. That's very definitively different as parents of Gen X versus baby boomers who are like fight, you know, are competitive, you know, one winner. Winner takes all. 
But millennials, if you talk to any millennial, they will tell you they have overly protective parents generally. And interestingly, millennials have closer relationships to their parents than any other generation so far. So there is something to be said about this protectiveness leading into connected relationships with children later on. Almost half of millennials volunteered for a social cause as an adolescent and experienced higher levels of depression than any other generation so far. What does that mean? Why do we think that is the case? Well, one, this is a generation that does care about social issues. They get a lot of heat for being lazy. Note, picture on the left. They also do suffer higher levels of depression. Now, we also talk about mental health much more, but mental health matters to this generation, and they're probably going to be the first generation to really put mental health on the map in political, educational, and resourceful ways for future populations. All right, so you can tell that I love millennials. I'm a parent of two millennials, so I really do appreciate this generation, even though they have taken a lot of heat for being lazy. I, I really think that millennials were judged too early. They were judged too early because they were looked at as their adolescence, their maturity. One of the things that happened is we started to learn that, wow, neurobiologically, the brain actually takes a lot longer to mature into its full capacity than we ever believed before. And so one of the things that we know about millennials are that, I mean, and this is true about all people, but we didn't know it until millennials, that the brain doesn't fully develop and mature until around the age of 24, 25 years old. So that feeds into the the lazy or immature perception of that particular generation. But now they're coming out of the gate and it's pretty exciting to see what they're, what they're doing and what they're up against. All right, last but not least, we have Gen Z. And this is the homeland generation. They're the artists. Remember, they repeat similar, similar to their silent generation grandparents, great-grandparents. And they grew up not only with overprotective parents, but this group grew up with a crisis-concerned parent. That's, again, I'm guilty, Gen X. I actually have one Gen Z child. So these kids grew up literally holding cell phones in their hands. They're considered the first generation of digital natives. They never have lived their lives without technology. And they were also kept more at home because there were a lot of things going on. And their parents, Gen X, who were left at home alone, are like, wait a minute. We have to protect. We have to keep them close to home. And there was 9-11. And there were attacks on our country that, that had people's awareness heightened with fear. So according to Forbes magazine, homelanders will be the most ethnically 
and racially diverse generation in history, consisting of Gen X's children, and they're the largest, they're, they're going to have the largest immigrant generation per capita born in the 20th century. So more kids in the 20th century with immigration status, first time in history. So this group is highly considerate of and literate about immigration issues and equity around racial differences and dis dis the disparities that have existed in the past and what they've experienced as they've grown up. This group is also sensitive and growing into socially focused adults, but they do develop into hesitant leaders. They don't necessarily jump right in and take over, sort of like their millennial counterparts do at times. Millennials kind of come right up against the authority. They don't they don't mince words. They're just right there, which is probably why they have such a intense reputation around their workforce bosses, because their communication style is very different. But this generation is more hesitant. They think things through a little bit more. They were overprotected, but then they were also super overprotected. Notice the little guy with the helmet on his head in his car seat. But that's because their parents experienced something, the Twin Towers coming down, that had never happened in our lives before. So, all right. So let's talk about communication. How do these generations communicate and embrace communicating differently? So baby boomers were born and raised with the telephone. Dial it up. Littles have no idea how to use a dial phone. You know, there have been a lot of funny YouTube videos about this. Connected to the wall. You couldn't talk to somebody unless you were in your house, probably your kitchen. But baby boomers, if they wanted to talk to somebody, they had to pick up the phone. Gen X actually experienced the first mobile phone. All right, now we're, we're, we're not connected to the wall as much. We are able to move about and talk to people on the phone. This is a whole new level of freedom and communication because now you can get in your car and go somewhere if you have reception and you can move and talk at the same time outside of the span of the cord. So I think this is so transformational in terms of communication for me in particular as a Gen Xer. I do today so much work professionally on the go. Like I don't, that I can't imagine doing all of my work attached to the phone at home. My idea of working is moving about and, and getting it done at the same time, multitasking in so many ways. But we'll learn even more about that as we keep going. Millennials we're the generation of the smartphone. So now we have the internet and it's on your phone. So you have access to everything you need on a smartphone, including social media. So include all of a sudden now there's this influx of social influence over your phone that you carry with you all the time. So the internet for millennials was a transforming communication 
interruption in our lives and in particularly that generation's lives. Now let's jump down to Gen Z, our homelanders. And these littles, remember, also known as digital natives, born with a literally a cell phone in their hands, the internet accessible and apps available, apps to everything, money, social time, education, information, everything you could possibly imagine they have at their fingertips because of the internet and because of apps. So interestingly, I'll share, I have a granddaughter who is young, she's actually part of the alpha generation, but they're even more digitally native than this group. This is just the first digital native, first round. The second round coming up are just, it's almost like an appendage. She was about not even two years old and asked me for Peppa Pig on her, on my phone. And she could, for one, I could hardly understand what she wanted because she was a baby. And two, she kept saying it, but I didn't know how to, I didn't know what it was and I did not know how to get it on my phone. And so she picked my phone up off the bed and lo and behold, about five minutes later, she is literally holding my phone and it has Peppa Pig on it. And I, to this day, have no idea how that baby got Peppa Pig on my phone that had never had Peppa Pig on it before. So amazing. And I think interesting that our little, little tinies, our alpha generation, have so much access to information that as long as it's accurate information and science-based information, they're going to be the smartest generation ever. So as long as we keep them problem-solving, thinking, and purposeful in their lives. So with that, okay, so that's communication and how if you think about it, if you want to talk to a baby boomer, you got to kind of get into their mind about how they naturally communicated at the beginning of their lives. They've adapted. We've all adapted and we all continue to adapt. But in general, we're most comfortable with our original way of getting information. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B. It's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now, go leave a life print. All content on Delusional Optimism is for informational and educational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice and does not establish any kind of patient-client relationship. A patient-client relationship is only formed through a written contractual agreement. If you need medical or mental health care advice, you should consult your doctor or therapist or go to your nearest hospital.